Can you give us a station ID? They'll kill me if I don't, I don't ask. I'd hate to see you killed. This is Steve Robinson, temporarily back on Earth, in Davis on KDVS 90.3. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to have a mixed bag on today's show. In segment two, we're going to talk a little bit about what happened in the Tour de France. We're going to bring back our sports correspondent, Sean Mitten, to talk a bit about that. And, of course, our bicycling correspondent, Paul Dorn, will sound off on a topic near and dear to his heart as well. And, yes, we do think that bicycles are important. We're not saying that just because we are broadcasting from Davis, the bike capital of, I think, North America. There's a lot of bicycle activism going on down in San Francisco, and uh, we think that's worthy of support. We're probably not going to get into that much today. But, uh, you know, that's why we have a bicycling correspondent. So stay tuned for that in segment two. On our website, radioparallax.com, we're going to make an effort to try and blog on a semi-regular basis. Uh, Certainly not every day, but uh, we're going to supplement what you hear on this program with some little notes and and some directions where you can find some of the stuff that we talk about. Let us start the program as we like to do with uh, On This Date in History. On This Date in History, which is August 24th in the year 1572, King Charles IX of France, under the sway of his mother, Catherine de' Medici, orders the assassination of Huguenot Protestant leaders in Paris. This set off an orgy of killing that resulted in the massacre of tens of thousands of Protestant Huguenots all across France and strengthened the resolve of Elizabethan uh, England to remain outside of the sway of the papacy. And we're pleased to announce that uh, a couple weeks from now we expect to be interviewing Mark Anderson, author of Shakespeare by Another Name, which deals with exactly this era in Queen Elizabeth, England. The book is subtitled The Life of Edward de Vere, Earl of Oxford, The Man Who Was Shakespeare. We're going to see if we can get Dr. Andy Jones to join us for that one. Oh, I think Dr. Andy does not want to get involved in this controversy because if you want to make people angry in the English departments across this great nation, just mention the name Edward de Vere in the context of Shakespeare. But... We think he wrote those great works, and we're going to talk about it. That's going to be fun. But back to On This Date, which is still August 24th. In 1814, during the War of 1812, British forces overwhelmed American militiamen at the Battle of Bladensburg, Maryland, and marched unopposed into Washington, D.C., where they then set the city aflame in revenge for the burning of Canadian government buildings by U.S. troops earlier in the war. The White House, a number of federal buildings, and several private homes were destroyed. In fact, it was called the White House because they had to put a lot of white paint on afterwards to cover up the scorch marks. But uh, if you are keeping score, our boys started that one. And on this date in 1853, culinary history was made in Saratoga Springs, New York, when Chef George Crumb invented the potato chip. 
According to a story I read, uh, the, one of the patrons at the restaurant kept demanding that the chef make even crispier fries. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently Mr. Crumb then shaved the potato amazingly thin and fried that and discovered that the patrons were delighted. History was never quite the same. And thus begins the illustrious history of the potato chip. And our quote of the day comes from an email sent to us last October 3rd by Jerry, which quoted from the um, commentary Andy Rooney delivers on 60 Minutes. He, d- he delivered that uh, the day before on August 2nd. I'd like to excerpt a bit from that. I'm not really clear how much a billion dollars is, but the United States, our United States, is spending $5.6 billion a month fighting this war in Iraq that we never should have gotten into. We still have 139,000 soldiers in Iraq today. Almost 2,000 Americans have died there. For what? Now we have hurricanes to pay for. One way our government pays for a lot of things is by borrowing from countries like China. Another way is by cutting spending for things like Medicare prescriptions, highway construction, farm payments, Amtrak, National Public Radio, and loans to graduate students. Do these things sound like things you'd like to cut back on to pay for Iraq? Rooney then talks a bit about some of our expenses for the military, where we spent $455 billion last year. He concluded by saying, We had a great commander in World War II, Dwight Eisenhower. He became president, and on leaving the White House in 1961, he said this, We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. Concluded Mr. Rooney, Well, Ike was right. That's just what's happened. Andy Rooney was a correspondent for Stars and Stripes during World War II. He knows what he's talking about, and we take our hat off to him for that one. We have three stats of the day. The first one is that greater than 50% of the American public, according to recent polls, now do not associate the war in Iraq with the war on terror. As we are now seeing things completely come apart at the seams in Afghanistan, we have to agree. And by the way, where is Osama bin Laden? The, uh, the guy that attacked us five years ago. Remember him? Statistic number two is that 92% of Americans, according to the Zogby poll of 1,000 registered likely voters, believe the public should have the right to observe vote counting and obtain information about it. We do like that statistic, but wonder about the 8% of Americans who believe the public should not have the right to observe vote counting. And finally, our third stat of the day, Congress, the House of Representatives, our lower house in Washington, D.C., has 435 members. Thanks to ruthless gerrymandering by both parties, it was thought that only 15 House seats would be up for grabs. But in the current anti-war sentiment that appears to be sweeping the nation, Poll after poll shows that more and more House seats, usually those of Republicans, appear up for grabs. The number now appears to be approaching 45. Yes, an astounding 10% of the seats in Congress appear to actually be contestable. Remember when Ronald Reagan used to make fun of the House, noting that people in the Politburo seemed to have more worry about losing their seats than people in Congress did? Well, Ronald Reagan was right. But perhaps as this war fiasco seeps into the American public, uh, we'll see some changes in November. We, We think that'd be a good thing.
And we should note that one of our own uh, former hosts of a public affairs program, Mr. Jeffrey Kravitz, is actually running for Congress on the Green Party ticket in Sacramento. We hope we can bring uh, Jeff back to talk about uh, where he stands on, uh, on some of the issues. And although we haven't been shy about bashing the GOP, the right wing of the GOP on this program, we do know that the Democrats sometimes don't appear to be a whole lot better, especially when Robert Matsui passes away and the Democratic Party powers that be decide that Doris, his wife, is just the person to sit in his congressional seat from here on out. As far as I recall, this country was founded on the premise that we don't have hereditary titles. And I understand the judge who struck down uh, George Bush's uh, uh, spying program actually made mention of that fact, rather inflammatory uh, language that irritated quite a few people. But it does seem a little bit creepy that of all the people the Republican Party might have selected to run in the year 2000 as their standard bearer, they chose the son of a former president because, well... Name recognition counts for quite a bit in politics, and when the public reads for years about George Bush, well, why not run George Bush for president? I think um, quite a few folks think at this point that possibly wasn't the best choice. We want to once again refer you to the Rolling Stone August 10th issue for the article uh, by James Bamford, The Next War. And we're hearing a lot about the threat of an Iranian nuclear program. This really appears to be an identical playbook to the ramp-up for the war in Iraq. I mean, the, there's a comparison in, in Bamford's article where it presents the play and then compares Iraq and Iran. For example, the play. Recruit charismatic con men to supply justification for war. Iraq? Convicted embezzler Ahmed Chalabi, whose Iraqi National Congress fed the administration faulty intelligence on WMDs. Iran? former rug merchant and Iran-Contra liaison Manochair Gorbanifar, who demands top dollars for misinformation about Iran's nuclear program. We think this is a fascinating article. It does appear that uh, the Israeli attack on Lebanon was a dry run, perhaps, for what a lot of people in the Pentagon would like to do to Iran. But um, it now appears that Lebanon did not turn out at all well for the Israelis. Everyone in Israel is questioning... Uh, the wisdom of Prime Minister Omert, although I was stunned to hear the argument offered uh, by some of the right wing in Israel that the problem here is that he didn't let the military win the war. We would like to ask at this point, as we've asked before, how would you win the war in Lebanon using bombers as well as tanks and infantry? How do you win the war? But back to the Bamford article. When they went in and arrested Ahmed Chalabi, uh, a couple years back, remember this? They went in there, we put him under house arrest, we took his computers. The reason they did that was people feel, people inside intelligence agents in the U.S. government, feel pretty certain that Chalabi was probably the guy that tipped off the Iranians that we'd broken their codes. So Mr. Chalabi may win the Machiavelli Award for the, uh, the beginning of the 21st century, having befriended the neocons, in the Pentagon, as well as the Iranians. He apparently is on very good terms with both camps. Of course, the neocons and Iranians don't like each other much, so, uh, boy, Chalabi's walking quite the tightrope. Anyway, read this article, please. Do yourself a favor, dear listener. We would like to note the opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But it is our opinion, and the opinion of this program alone 
that they don't know what they're doing over in Iraq. We've seen this happen before. I've seen this happen before in Vietnam. We went into a quagmire. Once we were there, they said, well, we can't just pull out. It'll be a big mess. And while we were there, it seemed clear that we had no goal in mind. And, uh, of course, with no goal in mind, how we were going to meet the goal was pretty much irrelevant. We are still waiting for someone to, uh, to explain what it is we're trying to achieve in Iraq, what the end point is. When do we know that the war on terror, or in this case the war on Iraq, uh, has reached a logical end point? What is, uh, what is that end point? What is that goal? No one seems to know. And as this ever more unpopular work continues to drag on, it appears that because there are not enough people volunteering to serve in Iraq and Afghanistan, the Pentagon has uh, adopted the use of what's been called a backdoor draft. The U.S. Marines and the U.S. Army are recalling to active duty thousands of men and women who have been discharged for several years. The Boston Globe reported that Tuesday's announcement of this recall raised some eyebrows among military experts. The LA Times also reported that for much of this conflict, the Army has also used a stop-loss order, which keeps soldiers in their units uh, uh, serving even after their active duty commitment was complete. This plus the involuntary call-up of reservists uh, have been criticized as a backdoor draft. This is quite unpopular with service members, many of whom have said they have already done their part. BBC reported that while only 2,500 of the 60,000 inactive Marines who comprise the Individual Ready Reserve will be recalled now, the authorization to do this, signed last month by President Bush, is open-ended and will stop only when the, quote, global war on terrorism, unquote, has ended. Well, when does that happen? First, three weeks ago, Edward Wong had reported in the New York Times that the tours of duty of 4,000 soldiers, in the, of the U.S. soldiers, who had been scheduled to leave Iraq in the coming weeks had been extended for up to four months, signaling there will almost certainly be no significant troop withdrawals before the year's end. And a current polling shows that the U.S. public does not have a very positive view of the U.S. involvement in Iraq and doesn't trust either party on this issue. In an August CNN poll, 60% of respondents say that they opposed the war in Iraq, while 36% said they supported it. People have short memories. I think what that really means is 60% of respondents oppose it now. I don't think they did then. I wish they had, but I don't think they did. By the way, a July Gallup USA Today poll found that 54% of respondents said the war was a mistake. This might be a, a, a good point to, to inject an email sent to us, a poem, not usually our specialty. You usually hear poetry on this station uh, on Wednesdays at 5 o'clock, courtesy of our good friend uh, Dr. Andy's uh, Poetry and Technology Hour. But I think this one is very apropos. It's being sent around quite a bit on the Internet these days. I'll read the first half of Yeats' The Second Coming. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. We must talk about that bit of poetry in the times we're living in. We're going to need some help, though, from Dr. Andy, so um, 
Maybe we can get him back on the show here in the weeks to come. Let us lighten things up a bit with uh, one of our favorites of the show, the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, last week was a good week for judging a book by its cover after a team of German researchers declared that red-headed women are lustier and have sex more frequently than other women. The fiery redhead certainly lives up to her reputation, said Professor Werner Habermel. We at Radio Parallax are electing not to weigh in on this matter. I will say this, in all of my various contacts in my undergraduate years here at UC Davis or in medical school or in subsequently in residency, I will say that here in America, we, we don't seem to be having as much fun in our medical research as they are over in Germany. All right. Uh, the Week magazine judged it to be a bad week for caped crusaders after Scottish police pulled over a drunken driver and recognized him instantly by the clothing he was wearing. Apparently he was Batman, (laughs) the fictional crime fighter. Slumped in the passenger seat, the magazine reported, was a visibly intoxicated Superman. Uh, No mention was made in the story of the whereabouts of Robin the Boy Wonder. We do suspect that this probably was Batman's first offense, and we do hope the authorities will show him some leniency. And finally, we're glad to report it was an ugly week for purveyors of fake news when the Federal Communications Commission last week mailed letters to the owners of 77 television stations inquiring about their use of video news releases. We've talked on this show uh, at great length about uh, VNRs with John Stauber from the University of Wisconsin. Video news releases are packaged news stories that typically employ actors to portray reporters who are paid by commercial or government groups. When uh, stations air video news releases, they're required to disclose to viewers the nature, source, and sponsorship of the material that they are viewing, according to the FCC. And we're glad they're finally looking into this. All right, that's it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. One final item for our first segment today in what has been described as a major breakthrough in bovine linguistics research. Experts in the UK have confirmed that cows moo with accents distinct to their herd. Evidently, after farmers in the western part of of England uh, declared that their cattle appeared to have a distinctive Somerset twang, John Wells, professor of phonetics at the University College London, said, This phenomenon is well attested in birds. You find distinct chirping accents in the same species around the country. This could also be true of cows. In small populations such as herds, you would encounter identifiable dialectical variations which are most affected by the immediate peer group. So according to uh, John Wells, professor of phonetics, uh, people talk like the people they hang around with, and so do cows. So far, no word from Dr. Doolittle on this. Ew, I can 
bird with our furry friends Man to animal, think of the amazing repartee If I could walk with the animals and talk with the animals Grunt, squeak and squawk with the animals And Lord, they could talk to me Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm Douglas Everett. If I could talk to the animals, think what fun we'd have asking over crocodiles for tea. Or maybe lunch with two or three lions, walruses and sea lions. What a lovely place the world would be. If I spoke slang to a ragatang, all oh, the advantages any fool on earth can plainly see. Disgusting Eastern art and dramas with intellectual llamas. That's a big step forward, you'll agree. I've learned to speak in antelope and turtle. 